0: This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener Caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. a young couple are found brutally murdered in their flat in Newcastle's West End. The investigation into their deaths exposes a shadowy underworld of illegal betting scams and traverses continents as detectives try to find the person responsible.
1: Both victims have suffered a violent attack using a sharp-edged instrument and a knife. Two. Nice, hard-working, respectable people who've come to the UK for the best of reasons, to get a good education. There's nothing that we're aware of at this precise moment in time as to why these two people should be targeted for this specific reason.
0: Welcome to Season 7, Episode 12 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. On Friday, August 8, 2008, Zhao Peng Xiao returned to Newcastle-upon-Tyne from China. The last part of his journey was the short trip to Croydon Road in Arthur's Hill to collect his car from the area behind his old flat. Zhao had expected his former flatmate, 25-year-old Zen Xin Yang, known as Kevin, to be there. However, there was no answer at the door or when Zhao tried to call him. He managed to get through to another friend, Ada Wang, who worked with Kevin's girlfriend. Zizu, known as Cece, worked at a Wagamama restaurant in Newcastle City Centre. Zhao got Cece's phone number, hoping Kevin was with her, but after calling Cece, he was again met with no reply. With little else to do, a note was pinned on the front door to the flat, and Zhao returned the next day at around 4.30pm. With no word from Kevin or Cece, concern spread to other people in their friendship group. A collective decision was made to try and get into the flat, and so Zhao entered the ground-floor apartment through an open bathroom window. As he walked through the property and into the front bedroom, Zhao saw what appeared to be a body on the bed, covered with a sheet. Struggling to comprehend what he was seeing, Zhao ran from the house and called the police. PC David Parker, a veteran with a decade's experience on the force, was one of the first officers to arrive at the scene. The rear bedroom was dark, but the light from P.C. Parker's torch made blood spatter visible on the two walls. As he moved the torch around the room, the officer noticed there was also blood on the bed. Peeling back the bed sheets one by one, he saw a man's body with catastrophic head injuries. P.C. Parker left the room and joined his colleague in the front bedroom, where a female victim had been found lying face down on the bed with a pillow concealing the upper half of her body. A gag had been forced into her mouth, which had been taped shut. Her hands and legs had also been bound with tape, and she too had significant head injuries. scene of crime officers were processing the property, they discovered something horrifying beneath the bathroom sink. A detective leading the investigation would later provide information in a press conference. The next piece of audio describes animal cruelty. Please skip ahead 45 seconds if you would prefer not to hear the details.
1: The bathroom of the house has been searched. And in a washing bowl underneath the sink was found the body of a mature cat. The washing bowl had been filled with water and resting on top of the washing bowl and therefore concealing the body of the cat was toweling and kitchen gloves. The dead cat is believed to have been a family pet of the deceased and is predominantly black with some white markings.
0: Cats have held a prominent place in Chinese culture and art for centuries. They can represent good luck and prosperity, and some believe that cats can detect and disperse evil spirits. Investigators wondered if there was symbolism behind the cat's killing, or if it had been carried out to cover the killer's tracks. Officers considered if this grim discovery could reveal DNA evidence. Experts tested the cat's claws, theorising it was possible the cat could have clawed the culprit. At the scene, officers also found a pair of blood-stained trousers on the sofa near Cece's body that were far too large for Kevin. He had a 31-inch waist, and the trousers found measured 36 inches. Blood spatter on the trousers also indicated that they had been worn by the person who inflicted the fatal wounds, or by someone standing in close proximity to the assailant. A SIM card was found inside the pocket. The trousers were sent for analysis to see if any DNA could be recovered. Post-mortems conducted at the Royal Victoria Infirmary revealed the savage violence inflicted on the young couple. Kevin had sustained approximately 67 separate injuries before his skull was struck with a blunt instrument and his throat slashed. His forearms had a number of injuries that looked to be defensive wounds, as though he had held his arms up to protect himself. The bruise is varied in colour. This can indicate the age of a bruise. When someone is injured, the area will typically be red at first, before turning purple or blue, then brown, yellow, and then back to a normal complexion. Bruising is caused when blood vessels beneath the skin are broken due to an impact. As the body heals... The bruise will fade. The aging of the bruises seen indicated that Kevin had been assaulted an hour or so before he was killed, meaning his death was not quick. He was tortured. The home office pathologist Dr. Stuart Hamilton found wounds to the front and back of Kevin's head. He had a fractured skull. The pathologist concluded that the wound to Kevin's throat had been inflicted with a bladed implement, possibly a knife, either just before or immediately after death. Cece had deep bruising on her neck and head as a result of blunt force trauma. She also sustained three depressed skull fractures. Her cause of death was suffocation. Detective Superintendent Steve Wade had been assigned to lead the murder inquiry. However, the authorities knew very little about the victims, who had not lived in the area for long. Kevin, or Xin Xingyang, as he was formerly known, was from Dalian in China. He moved to the UK in 2003, and studied English for a year at Cornwall College, St. Hostel. He had met Zizou, or CC in an internet chat room. When CC moved to the UK in 2005, the pair began their degree courses at university. CC was from Hunan in South China, and received a Master of Arts degree in Applied Linguistics in 2006. She was described as being reliable, bubbly, and a joy to work with. During the same period, Kevin completed an MA in International Human Resources. The couple had lived in the Croydon Road flat for 18 months, and their neighbours said they were quiet and kept to themselves. Cece had found employment working in a Wagamama restaurant and she had not shown up for work on that Friday and Saturday, her colleagues grew concerned. They had been for a meal on Thursday afternoon, and Cece had taken the bus home as she usually did, which meant she would have arrived back at around 4pm. This was the last time she was seen alive by her loved ones. Croydon Road in Newcastle's West End was a popular location for international students who attended the nearby university. But sadly, this was not the first tragedy to befall the area. Eleven-year-old Wesley Neely had lived on the same street when he was murdered by Dominic McKilligan ten years earlier in 1998. Locals were plummeted into a state of fear once more. When they learned about the murder of the young couple, especially as the killer could still be in the area, and worryingly, there was no apparent motive for the brutal slaying. Could it have been a random attack? Students living nearby wondered if the killings were racially motivated. One told the Northern Echo, I am very shocked. I cannot say if we should live in this area anymore. It is a tough area, but convenient for the university. I cannot believe this has happened. As Chinese students, we do not have any affairs with other people. I want to know why this happened. Sometimes local children attack us, and I don't know whether it is because we come from another country. There were thousands of Chinese students in the community and many considered moving to a different location. Forensic examinations continued inside the cordoned-off ground floor flat. The investigators did not find any sign of forced entry, so it was theorised the victims had known their attacker and let them inside. Officers also search for the murder weapons, believed to be a blunt object and a sharp instrument. Detective Superintendent Wade told reporters that a criminal profiler would be brought in to assist in the investigation and look at the sequence of events in an attempt to track down the killer. The detective said, It was a vicious attack. There was a lot of blood and I think in any interpretation, that was something frenzied. Given the amount of blood, someone has come home bloodstained. Someone must know something out there. Detective Superintendent Wade spoke about his team's determination and dedication to get to the bottom of Kevin and Cece's untimely deaths. We will work around the clock to catch those responsible. We have a very experienced team of detectives working on this case. We have the support of the local community, the area command policing, and the people of Newcastle to catch whoever is responsible for this horrendous crime. So far it appeared as though investigators were lacking a reason behind the murders, when Detective Superintendent Wade spoke about the victims, saying... At this stage, we have no motive as to why these two people have been killed, which could be properly put forward as a reason why they should be attacked with such brutality. Sometimes the police hold news conferences like this and go through the motions with the media when they already have it in the back, but this really is an undetected homicide. We are beginning to make inroads into their friends and associates. But we are a long way short of establishing a motive for this crime. And we are a long way short of arresting anyone. Cece had last been seen leaving work on Thursday, August 7th.
1: She's just finished up work at three o'clock. Um, and what she's just about to do is at the end of the, at the, end of our shift, what you would normally do is have a meal with some of the staff who work there. She's had a meal now. She leaves the, the restaurant, and that's our circle. Just leaving 15:46 hours, and she walks towards Blackett Street bus stop opposite the old Elton Square. The next image is we've
0: got a- CCTV cameras captured Cece's journey home to the flat, where investigators believe that she had interrupted whoever was in the process of torturing her boyfriend. Detectives were investigating a possible link to violent burglaries in the area, but they struggled to link the murder to anything else. DNA samples taken from the scene were sent to a specialist lab in West Yorkshire for analysis. The police also found it difficult to make progress with the case, as they did not have many interpreters on the force. A makeshift memorial was set up outside the flat, where the victim's friends left sunflowers and photographs of the couple. Eddie Tang, a pastor at the International Christian Fellowship in Newcastle, said, They were friendly, hardworking and popular. The mood in the community is very subdued. They are in mourning. A lot of students, they are new to the area, living in the west end of Newcastle. They heard about two Chinese students being killed in their own home. Now, if you newly arrive to a country, that will be enough to scare you. So that is the, 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 the atmosphere at the moment. From the outside in, It appeared as though Kevin and Cece both lived what was considered a normal life for a student. They were not lavish or flashy. With the level of brutality, their killings seemed personal. Not a chance encounter where the couple were unlucky enough to meet a violent person trying to rob them of their possessions. It was known Cece supplemented her studies by serving in a Wagamama restaurant. Still, initially, there was a question mark over what Kevin did to bring money into the household. Cece's wage would not be enough to support them both. Investigators dug deeper. Beyond the facade, the young couple presented. They discovered that Kevin could not be traced to any employers since graduating. It appeared as though he had set up his own business. He posted on a Mandarin language website offering to pay people £50 an hour to watch football matches in what he listed as a UK-based football information company. It was believed that Kevin or his employees would relay the information from football stadiums to gambling syndicates in China to give them an advantage as matches were streamed with a slight delay, allowing them to fix the bet. After the murders, posts were discovered on the Mandarin website, suggesting that Kevin had recruited people and failed to pay them on time. The people Kevin employed were agitated, and some threats were posted under his advertisements. One read, Wait there. I will find you. We'll see who the bad guy is. Analysis of the couple's phones and computer data indicated that they were both involved in the fraudulent scheme. Hundreds of thousands of pounds had been transferred in and out of Kevin's bank account. It also emerged that they had been arranging false documentation such as degree certificates and visas, and it was queried whether Kevin had falsified his own degree to get into Newcastle University. He had dropped out of an undergraduate course, but was still able to get a graduate degree. With all of the rumours circulating about the couple's alleged illegal activities, Detective Superintendent Wade urged the public to be compassionate for the victim's families. They were travelling to the UK from China. He said, A lot has been printed and said about the online business activities of the two victims. However, we must not lose sight of the fact they are just that, victims. This young couple were killed at the home they shared. The level of violence used in the killings is completely disproportionate to the level of minor fraudulent activity discovered on the couple's computer. After speaking with Kevin's mother in China, investigators learned that the couple had a new lodger living with them a week before they were killed. Detective Superintendent Wade said, We now believe that an unidentified male rented a room from the couple on or about August 1st this year. Mr Yang, or Kevin, informed his mother that the new lodger was a student and that he came from the Jinzu area of the northern seaport city of Dalian. We have no further information to identify the lodger, and inquiries to trace him have so far failed. Officers can find no personal possessions belonging to the mystery man that rented the room inside the flat. It was unclear if anyone had, in fact, lived with the couple since their old flatmate had moved out. The police issued photographs of Kevin and Cece in an effort to generate more leads. The pictures showed the couple smiling next to one another on a recent trip and Cece singing in a local restaurant. A £5,000 reward was offered to anyone with information that would lead to the arrest and conviction of the person or people responsible. Despite the magnitude of evidence that had been collected at the scene and the thousands of hours of CCTV footage viewed from the surrounding areas, the detectives were at a loss. The victims' families arrived in the UK in September, A month after the murders, they held a private funeral service at a local crematorium, and the families intended to return to China with their loved ones' ashes. A press conference was held where Cece's father and Kevin's mother spoke through translators. Sisi's father, San Bao, said he had almost lost the will to live when he learned that his only child had been murdered, but he had to continue to fight while her killer was still at large. San Bao said, I have determination to catch the murderer. I have no doubt the murderer will be arrested, and my daughter will have the justice she deserves. Kevin's mother said that she and her husband spent their life savings to send him to the UK five years earlier, and that their hearts had been broken to lose him in such a terrible way. She said, He and Cece were both only children. Our happiness, fortune, and hopes are all gone with the loss of these two lovely children. Lead investigator Detective Superintendent Wade said that meeting the families and seeing their grief made him and his colleagues more determined to catch the person or people responsible. The police had received calls from international students who had been victims of assault in other cities around the country, and there were a number of similarities between the offences such as flats being put up for rent on websites. The detective acknowledged the betting scam Kevin and Cece were allegedly involved with, and said the victims here were not making huge sums of money, but someone may have thought they were. Again, BBC's Crime Watch played a part in appealing for information on the case. On September 11, 2008, five weeks after the murders occurred, a segment on the television programme was dedicated to the murders. It was aired in English, Mandarin and Cantonese to try and reach anyone who had information about the mysterious flatmate Kevin and Cece had spoken about. Witnesses reported seeing three men loitering outside the couple's flat on August 7th, two days before they were found. A composite sketch of one of the men was released to the media. CC had told the friend she had met with a prospective lodger, an Asian man she described as being young and chubby, who wore an earring. She also mentioned that this man, for some reason, made her feel uncomfortable. Detective Superintendent Wade spoke on the Crime Watch appeal and said 100 officers were working on the case. Mobile phones had been stolen from the flat, and there was no cash found, which led police to query if robbery was a motive. After her shift, Cece only had to walk for a minute back to her flat from the bus stop, so it was likely she had interrupted the killer. Detectives believed that Cece and Kevin had been separated, and Kevin was tortured possibly to get him to tell the attacker where the money was. It was theorised that the cat had been killed for the same reason. Cece had been suffocated over a 90-minute period, and the police thought she had been bludgeoned to accelerate her death. The same theory was placed on the fact that Kevin had his throat slit despite having catastrophic head injuries. Although the couple were involved in an illegal betting operation, they were seen as low-level offenders. Over a three-year period, around £240,000 had moved through Kevin's bank account, but he had sent £40,000 of that to his parents, and it was likely he had to pay the organisers and commentators who reported on the matches too. A man in the area was watching The Appeal and realised that his son had stumbled upon evidence two days earlier. The boy and his friend had found a plastic bag containing three mobile phones in Nunsmore Park, close to Croydon Road. The bag had been wrapped in Looney Tunes Christmas tape and concealed with bark. When they showed the phones to the boy's father, He put a new SIM card and battery in one of the phones and turned it on. He saw photographs of a young couple and text messages that referred to the crime scene. The phones were handed to the police, who confirmed they belonged to Cece and Kevin. The police had also found DNA at the scene on the waistband of the bloody trousers and on Kevin's SIM card, which was in the pocket. They could not find a match on the National DNA Database, but genetic genealogy was used to narrow down the suspect's ancestry. Police also recovered fingerprints, found on the plastic bag the phones had been wrapped in, but detectives needed to find someone to compare them to. What's more, officers uncovered communications online between CeCe and a prospective lodger using the name Tank Tank 00. Analysis of CeCe's recovered phone showed that she had been in contact with someone using a mobile number linked to the Tank Tank profile. Eventually, the police were able to trace the profile to a man living some 15 miles north on Castle Close, located in the Northumberland town of Morpeth. Mass raids were executed across the area and over a dozen people were arrested for burglary and immigration offences. During one of these raids, a 30-year-old man, Hui Chao, was found in possession of a pair of bloodstained glasses and a watch with trace amounts of Kevin's blood. Joe's fingerprints also matched those found on the plastic bag the phones were wrapped in, and his DNA was discovered on the bloodstained trousers that had been left at the scene. The tape that had been used to wrap the plastic bag was also found under his bed. Zhao was arrested on October 23rd, and two days later he was charged with two counts of murder. Two other men of Chinese descent were arrested in connection with the killings, but were released on bail. Sixteen more men were questioned, and one was arrested on suspicion of assisting an offender before being released. Guang Hui Chao was taken to HMP Franklin while on remand. The heavyset, balding man did not speak other than to confirm his name, age and address during a video-linked hearing in November. The trial was scheduled to begin the following spring, and in February 2009, Chao pleaded not guilty to the murders at Newcastle Crown Court. He spoke through an interpreter, as he would during his upcoming trial.
1: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
0: Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt.
1: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safer families in EcoVadis certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code among us for an extra 25% off your first order at centair.com. Investigators traveled to China to learn more about the victims and the alleged killer. Before he left, detective superintendent Steve Wei told the press, "We have been given permission from the Ministry of Public Security in Beijing to carry out further inquiries over there into the murders of the Chinese students in Newcastle. I will be going to see the victims' families and updating them on elements of the investigation in person. Sadly, I will also have to tell them the exact nature of the injuries caused to their children and the way they died. Kevin's parents are in the Liaoning province in northeast China, and Sisi's father is in the Hunan province in the south. I hope to travel to Beijing initially by the end of February or by the beginning of March with a small team of Northumbria detectives, including the family liaison officers. We will be accompanied in China by the local police and translators. The officers uncovered very little about Guanghui Chao, who kept to himself, was described as a, quote, Billy No-Mates. Chow had travelled to the UK in 2001 and enrolled at Gateshead College to learn English. At the time of his arrest, he had overstayed his visa. He was working as a kitchen porter in a Newcastle restaurant. Chow's former colleague at the restaurant, Lena Yang, said, He would spend his spare time playing online games or on his PlayStation. The trial began in April 2009 at Newcastle Crown Court. Robert Smith QC told the jury about the circumstances of the couple's death and the betting scams they were believed to have been part of. The prosecutor said that several thousand pounds had passed through Kevin's bank account and the money had likely come from selling fraudulent documents and information on football matches. Hui Chao's motive for the killings was still unknown, but if he had knowledge of the money they were generating, he may have tried to rob them. The prosecutor said, however, that the violence inflicted upon the couple was not even remotely necessary to steal from them. Speaking about Cece's murder, Robert Smith QC said, She met a violent and brutal death in her own home, where the man and any other people who may have been responsible also killed her boyfriend in quite brutal circumstances. She was quickly and effectively subdued because her wrists, feet and lower legs were bound with adhesive tape. A gag was inserted in her mouth and was taped, and she was placed face down on a bed in the front bedroom. You should not assume that the person or persons responsible intended no serious harm to her because they had simply bound and gagged her in this way. As she lay face down, she was also struck a number of times to the back and side of her head with an object which was a hammer, and with such a degree of force her skull was fractured. The prosecutor explained that Kevin's death was more brutal and prolonged. Those responsible made him lie or forced him onto a bed in a small bedroom at the rear of the property and there they inflicted multiple blows to his face and head with a similar weapon and cut his throat with a sharp implement, which was in all probability a knife. He died from the head wounds inflicted on him. The prosecution argued that Chow had stolen the couple's laptop and phones to prevent the police from finding anything that could link him to the crime. A statement was read to the court written by Kevin's mother. She explained that her son had sent her money and provided details he had given her about his job. She wrote In December 2007, I got £25,000 from Zen, and in January 2008, another £20,000. He said the money was from his wages as he was doing football commentary. He said he had someone working for him on the football commentary and, as a result, had earned more than usual. I asked him if he was involved in gambling, but he said he didn't gamble on football. He just worked on commentary. He said he would go to football stadiums and make phone calls and report the football matches. Kevin's mother had been asked if she had heard about any threats to the couple in relation to the football scam. She said, I'm aware of one occasion with the people he worked for who pay his wages. They were in the south of China or Hong Kong, and they were not happy and were aggressive. Kevin's friend Fan Shang also wrote a statement. Admitting that he knew about some of Kevin's activities. Quote, Kevin said he was involved in betting. He said it involved him travelling to watch live events and giving information to other people. He said there was money to be made doing fake certificates. But I don't know if he did that. The couple's old flatmate Xiaopeng Xiao, who had found their bodies, testified that he had moved into the couple's flat in August 2007. He told the court he knew that Kevin was involved in illegal activities. Zhao said that Kevin had been fired from the betting scam after the people he had recruited to watch the football matches complained about not being paid on time, or they simply did not do the work he had asked them to. Testimony also came from Paul Gulen, a finance investigator. The expert witness explained the methods used by the couple to conceal their undeclared income. Gulen said that Kevin had used a holding account and a money laundering technique called layering, a process where the account holder makes a number of transactions to distance the money from the source. In spite of the evidence, Cece's father did not believe his daughter was involved in any illegal schemes. His statement to the court read in part She was a gentle person with lots of friends. She never caused any trouble. She was an honest and law abiding citizen who wanted to be an English teacher. Some of the officers involved in the case also addressed the court including P.C. Parker, who had been the first officer to arrive. He said, It was probably one of the worst images I have seen. It was certainly an image that remained with me for a long time. The court heard that the evidence against Guanghui Chao consisted not only of phone and online data that showed he had been in contact with the couple and had inquired about subletting a room in their flat, but his DNA and fingerprints also placed him at the scene. In his own defence, Chao would address the court through an interpreter. He said that he had worked as a statistician and a financial executive in China, but had been fired and persecuted for his religious beliefs. He belonged to a group Falun Gong that had been dubbed a cult by the Chinese government. He said that he had moved to the UK on a student visa following two assaults on the street in China and remained in the UK when it expired. He explained that he had been threatened by an anonymous caller who had left a mobile phone in an envelope outside his former address before he moved. The caller told Chow that there was a file he should see on the phone. and Chow opened it, it was a photograph of his parents who lived in China. Chow said the caller remarked, Have you ever imagined if a drunk driver drove his car forward, what would happen to them? Such incidents happen every day. Think it over. Chow was told that they knew he had inquired about renting a room with Cece and Kevin, and the caller demanded that he move in and leave a key outside. He was told to bring a hammer, gloves and tape. Chow said he had moved into the flat just before the murder and had paid a deposit to secure it. He told the court that on the day of the murders he had been sleeping in when a masked gunman entered the flat. He testified, ''A person wearing a mask charged into my room holding a gun. He was wearing some sort of hood.'' He asked me not to move and to put my hands on my head and squat down slowly. Chow said that another gunman brought Kevin into the room and told Chow that Kevin had made someone unhappy. Chow testified. Kevin was terrified. He said unwilling to compensate in a trembling voice. The defendant described how he was forced into the bathroom and had his hands and feet bound before being left in there for hours. Later that evening, he was taken out of the bathroom. Cece had her hands bound behind her back as she cowered down while another gunman went through a laptop on the sofa. Chow said, I was not present when Kevin was beaten to death. I never entered the front bedroom where Cece was lying on the bed. I did not witness any form of attack on either of them. Chow's life was apparently spared as long as he heeded the warning given to him by the assailants. They said, ''When you leave here, be careful what you say and think about your parents.'' However, when Chao had been arrested, he told a very different story. He explained to the police he had previously visited the flat twice to view the room C.C. had advertised. But he decided not to take it and did not speak to the couple again. He had also denied any knowledge of the murders when he was interviewed. Now, according to Chow. He was too afraid to tell the truth because he felt as though he could not trust the police and the media had already reported his name. He said, If I told the truth, the media would get to know it and that was the equivalent of the murder of my own parents. Guang Hui Chao denied being in the room when the murders were taking place and claimed he was being framed. Chow's defence counsel, Paul Sloan QC, told the jury that there were many people who had a motive to harm the victims, and that his client had no reason to. Sloan told the court, Messages were also posted on the internet prior to their deaths complaining about the activities of Kevin Yang and CeCe in such terms as "CC has been deceitful, give me the money as soon as possible. It has been three weeks. You don't even answer the phone. Don't trust them. Liar. The case against Guanghui Chao was summarised to the jury, who were told that Chao had intentionally moved into the couple's flat in order to kill them, either for monetary gain or as retribution for some unknown organisation who had been wronged. Chow had allegedly killed the couple within a day of moving in, and he had changed his clothes and attempted to remove any evidence of his presence from the flat before moving elsewhere and getting a new job. The jury of seven women and five men began deliberations at the end of the three-week trial. After hearing the foreman deliver the verdicts, Chow screamed at the jury in Mandarin and told them, You've killed me. You're murdering me. Wang Hui Chow was found guilty. Mr. Justice Wilkie, who had presided over the trial, addressed Chow in his sentencing remarks saying, "'Your own counsel, rightly, in his address to the jury, "'described each murder as instances of extreme savagery and brutality. "'But they were more than that. "'I am satisfied that this was an execution carried out "'against two young people who had become involved "'in organised criminal activities "'and involved in dishonest betting "'and the provision of bogus documentation.'" In some way they have crossed those who were involved in organising these criminal activities and were punished by them and held up as an example being murdered in a clearly calculated and savage way. In the case of C.C., she was subjected to the ordeal of suffocation by having a large piece of cloth rammed into her mouth and having her skull fractured three ways. It must have involved horrifying and barely imaginable suffering before she was rendered unconscious. In this way, a clear message was being sent to those who were involved in this scam of not to cross them. The judge went on to say to Chow, You lie to the police. You have not spoken or given any information which might lead to the others involved. Chow was ordered to serve life in prison with a minimum term of 33 years. He began screaming in Mandarin and had to be dragged from the court by six bailiffs. So where are we now? The inquiry into Cece and Kevin's deaths was the most extensive murder investigation in the Northeast. It spanned continents as the investigators tried to establish who killed the young couple and why. To date, no concrete motive for the murders has been found. Detective Superintendent Wade has spoken to the media on numerous occasions to express that while there is an absence of direct evidence, he feels as though Chow did not carry out the attacks on his own. Speaking with the Evening Chronicle, the detective said, There was no evidence to suggest there was anyone else involved. We had no mobile, phone, DNA or physical evidence that could prove there was more than one person. We never established the motive for these killings. And in English law you don't have to prove a motive for murder. But to be able to convince a jury to convict, we had to suggest why these two people would be killed. We always believed that some kind of organised crime was behind it. And this is the idea we have floated. And that, by its very nature, suggests there was more than one person involved, either in the planning or the killing itself. Cece and Kevin were laid to rest together in China. Following the trial, their parents called for the killer to be deported so he could face the death penalty. But that was not possible. Kevin's mother spoke after the legal proceedings and said that Guanghui Chao had not only killed two people but he had killed two families as they would never have future generations due to China's one-child policy. Cece's heartbroken father also said, We nurtured her for 25 years and now she is suddenly gone. Words alone cannot possibly convey the harm that has been done to our family. Guanghui Chao will not be eligible for release until 2041. If he is granted parole at that time, he will immediately be deported to China. A further suspect has been arrested in connection with the two murders, but there are believed to be more people involved in the killings that are still walking among us, going unpunished. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com.